Amen. Genesis chapter 50. Well, we're finishing this book today. Genesis is the preface that God gives for all of human history. That's how significant. It is the book of beginnings. It's the book of our understanding of God's plan for the ages. And it's the preface to our story. It gives us most certain realities. Certain realities. And it's interesting, if you and we said this when we began our study, if you want to investigate a Bible college, find out if they believe the first six chapters of the book of Genesis. Do you believe the books of... This, this would be the good question to ask the school. Do you believe that the first six books, or the first six chapters of the book of Genesis are actual history? You understand that 99.9% of the Bible colleges and seminaries in the country do not believe that. They don't. And so if those things aren't true, then our need for salvation is not true. The fact, the reality of eternal suffering and death is not true. The reality that God judges sin in the flood is not true. The reality that God has the prerogatives over our life as creator. It's not true if the first six chapters of Genesis are not true. But God has given them as certain realities. And Jesus Christ reiterated that truth in the New Testament. Amen? These things are true. They are most certain realities. Genesis. And it's interesting. We live in a world that loves amusement. Even people who go to, preacher, to preaching meetings or Christian concerts, they're there for amusement. It's like what Herod said of John the Baptist. The Bible says, and Herod heard John gladly. He wanted to see a miracle. He wanted to see him do something really cool. But he had absolutely no intention of changing his life to match up with God through his man, had said. And, you know, even we as Christians, we get so wrapped up in amusement and entertainment. We spend our time in, in fantasies and in make-believe worlds because we need to escape from the pressures and cares and stress of our everyday lives. It's true, we do those things. But, you know, the word amuse, to muse is to think. Meditate. Blessed is the man, remember? And meditates on his word day and night. You're blessed if you do that. To muse is to think. Amuse is to not think. The purpose of amusement is to keep us from thinking. Now, believe me, man, if there's anybody who understands, sometimes you've got to shut it down. If you're thinking and working and, and under the strain of life all the time, it, like Jesus said, come apart. Come apart for a little while. You're tired. Come apart. And, you know, you've seen that. If we don't come apart, we're going to come apart. Right? So I, you know, I'm all for amusement. I'm all for taking a break, especially if there's a golf club involved. I'm all for that. It's all good. Some of you that want to go hunting and kill God's precious little creatures. I'm all for that. That's all good. We need to shut it down sometimes. Whatever your amusement is, if it doesn't dishonor the Lord, I'm for that. 
But do you realize how much time? If you step back and think about your amusement, how much it distracts you from God's word. Now we're into the area of idolatry as opposed to rest. The book of Genesis, the book of Genesis is a a wake-up call. It tells us what humanity is all about. It tells us where we are going. It's an amazing book. The thing that's interesting about it, though, is it's a book with precious few bright spots, rare triumphs in the midst of a steady stream of failure, gross sin, faithless men, and death. Have you ever watched a movie? And you know what? I don't know about you. I want a movie where the ending solves all the problems. Right? Don't you hate it? You know, you get down to that. You, you watch this movie and it's just depressing and miserable. And you get to the end and it ends depressing and miserable. And you just, okay, I'm going to go kill myself now. <laughs> that helped me. I remember one time at Christmas time. Christmas Day. Laura and I watched Schindler's List. That was a great Christmas. <laughs> good night. That was awful. And I guess it's good for us to know those things happen, but not on Christmas. It was, it was a good night. And we like the happy ending. You know, Christmas is getting ready to come, Christmas season. And I know it's commercial, but I like it. I like the green and the red and the presents. and ah, I love it all. Right. But, you know, that's not what the book of Genesis is like. The book of Genesis is one mess up after another. Joseph is the only bright spot. And this is such a good lesson for us to learn what life is really like, what life is really about. Genesis is the cold, hard, honest truth about the wages of Adam's fall and the consequences of that transgression. And it's the preparation for all who would follow. Read it, and you know what Job said. That man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's what life is. It's trouble. Genesis tells us that, and it's the result of a fall that really happened. That's what Genesis is about. Genesis is a cold, hard, gloomy book, and it must be so, for it tells the tale of fallen man. Can't wait, can you? See, what's so good, though, is God tells us exactly what's going to happen. See, that's what reality is. That's what reality is. How many of you, you know, your kids, life gets hard. And what do you tell them? That's life. Get used to it. Get, how many of you ever said that to your kids? Get used to it when something is hard. Get used to it. Life's going to be hard. I love this. That's not fair. And what do you say? Get used to it. That's what Genesis is. Genesis is the get used to it. You can have a life that honors God, that will end in glory. Or you can have a life that dishonors God, and it will end in death. It's interesting. You know what I find fascinating? Do you realize there's very little religion in the book of Genesis? 
Now, we can study the types of Christ, and that's been great. But there's very little religion in the book of Genesis. You have people that honor God and believe Him, and it's good. And you have people that dishonor God and disbelieve Him, and it's bad. It's a very simple primer on the way the world is going to function until Christ returns. So let's look at the first certainty. I have four certainties for you this morning. The first one is really fun. The certain reality of death. All right, let's look at it. Genesis chapter 50. Look at verse 1. And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. Look at verse 26. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. That's not riding off into the sunset. That's not getting the girl. And it's so interesting. This is the history of the human race. Remember, chapter 12, chapters 1 through 11, the history of the human race. Chapters 12 through 50, the history of the Hebrew race. And the answer is the same every time. The Bible begins within the beginning God and it ends in a coffin in Egypt. The book of Genesis. This gives us the certain reality of death. Now, contrast this with modern thought. And here we're getting ready to do our series for the fall. We're going to talk about modern thought versus the mind of Christ. But you understand the basis of modern thought is that things are getting better. <laughs> Thelma, you know that's not right. Amen. Things are not getting better. Things are getting worse and worse and will degenerate until this world is in such a bad place that Jesus Christ comes and judgment takes the believers out. That's what the Bible says. So this idea, this Darwinian idea that the world is going to get better and we're going to usher in Christ's kingdom is simply out of the pit of hell and it smells like smoke. It's not true. Do you know the ultimate, the ultimate proof to the lie that is Darwin's theory is his own tombstone? The simple fact is, it doesn't work. We are not getting better. We begin with God. And when man rejects God, he ends up in a tomb. That's it. That is the certainty of death. And how about this? Look at verse 26 or verse 25. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. Joseph did not want to leave his bones in Egypt. Well, you know, we're going to spend tonight. Please come back tonight. Tonight is our last time that we're looking at how Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to find Jesus Christ all through the book of Genesis, chapter 50. We're going to find Jesus all in there. But one of the things, remember what the Bible says about Jesus Christ? I will not suffer my Holy One to see corruption. Jesus Christ's bones never saw corruption. Amen? If you find one bone of the Lord Jesus Christ, you find his little finger, then your Bible is not worth the pages it's printed on. Why? Because he is risen. Amen? He did not see corruption. He is risen. 
That's why we're here today. Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And you have people that say all religions are the same. That's completely false. You find, you find Mohammed's bones, it changes nothing. You find Buddha's bones, it changes nothing. You find Joseph Smith's bones, it changes nothing. You find Charles Taze Russell's bones, it changes nothing. You find Buddha, Gautama, uh, Krishna, you find any of their bones, it changes nothing about their faith. You find Jesus' bones, and we're done. Because if Christ be not raised from the dead, we are of all men most miserable. Why? I've heard people say, well, the Christian life will be good for you. Even if Jesus didn't rise, even if it's not true, it'll be better. It'll be better. God has promised us that we'll be persecuted, that we're going to die to self every day. We're going to give up the things that we want. We're going to live for him, which is a complete contrast to the things that we want. And that's good. It's only good if God's word is true. And God's word is only true if Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Amen. See, we are, our faith is so much different from all the other faiths in the world. I think it's Ravi Zacharias who, in his debates, he said, some people say that all religions are fundamentally the same and only superficially different, when the reality is they are fundamentally different and only superficially the same. Every other faith, every other faith, is some kind of distortion of the truth that is found in the Word of God based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. See, that is the promise. One of the, one of the certain realities that we have in the book of Genesis is that there is death. And our only hope, our only hope is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, that's the first certain reality. Hamlet said, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty place, petty pace from day to day till the last syllable of recorded time and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out our brief candle, life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is here no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. This is our sure destiny, if not for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us Jesus Christ said, in beginning at Moses and the prophets, He expounded unto them all things concerning Himself. If Jesus Christ isn't risen from the dead, then our end is the same as Joseph's end in a coffin in Egypt. Look with me at, uh, keep your place in Genesis. Go with me to Joshua. Joshua, chapter 23, and look at verse 14. Joshua 23, 14. Look at the beginning of verse 14. And behold, this day... I am going the way of all the earth. We'll stop there. Keep your place here in Joshua. I'm going the way of all the earth. Now, let me ask you all a question. What's the way of all the earth? Here, what's he talking about? What's going to happen? Death. Okay, that's the first point in my sermon. All right? Let's all say it together. What's the way of all the earth? We're all going to die. 
Unless Jesus Christ returns before it happens. Man, that, wouldn't that be cool? That would be awesome. I heard somebody say, you know, what if the Antichrist is revealed? Aren't you going to be scared? No, that means Jesus is coming back because it says, and when the Son of Man is revealed, we're out of here. Amen? Wait, imagine if they have the temple and it's ready to be built. They have, I hope it's prefab. You know, comes up today, that means we're gone tomorrow. Amen? We have nothing to worry about. That's good news. That is awesome stuff. But here the Bible says, Joshua is going the way of all flesh, of all the earth. We're all going to die. Now, keep your place in Joshua. Go back to Genesis 50. That's number one. Number two. Number one, certain reality of death. Number two, the certain reality of God's word. The certain reality of God's word. Look at verse 18. Genesis 50, verse 18. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. I want you to understand something. Joseph's brothers, all the way back in Genesis chapter 37, when he said, I had a vision. God revealed this to me in a dream. And I saw all of your chiefs bowing down to mine. And they said, Will he indeed reign over us? Will he indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him for his dreams. And so what they did was they plotted all kinds of things to stop his dream from coming true. And in Genesis 37, it says, and we shall see what shall become of his dreams. Yeah, yeah, they saw. They saw. God's word is true. But there's something that you have to remember. They weren't fighting against Joseph's leadership. They were fighting against God's word. That's a bad fight. That is not going to work out well. That's like the hammer on the anvil. And I wish I had that poem in front of me. How many of you have heard the poem about the word of God and the anvil? The anvil is the word of God. The hammer is all of the, the, the infidels who have tried to attack it. You can go into the blacksmith shop and you can see in the, in the blacksmith shop there's a whole pile of broken hammers. But there was the anvil. I promise you, you'll break your anvil of rebellion on the hammer of God's word every time. God's word is true. It is sure. And when God said they were going to bow, what were they going to do? They were going to bow. And the Bible says about us, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him, and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Now we're all going to bow. That's just as sure as can be, right? God's word is true. What we learn in Genesis is the certain reality of God's word. Now how many of you believe that? You believe that? I begin almost all of my counseling sessions with three thoughts. I try to give folks three, three thoughts. The only way that I can help you in counseling, these three thoughts. Number one, you have to believe that God has the answer to your problem in His Word. Amen? Number two, you must be willing to do whatever God tells you in His Word in order for the problem to be solved. Does that make sense? Then number three, the problem can't be the biggest thing in your life. Because if it is, you have made a God of that. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, that He will not give His glory to another. You see, our problems are to turn us to Him not away from him.
So those are the things that I tell a person when I'm getting ready to counsel them or a couple when I'm getting ready to counsel them. And it's amazing how often this happens. It's just amazing how we begin and they say, yes, I agree. But then when when the rubber meets the road, when it's my behavior or the word of God, when it's what I want or the word of God, where it's my justice or the word of God, my pain or the word of God. It is amazing how often our belief in the certain reality of God's word is not so certain anymore. See, we need to understand when God said all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, Genesis chapter 50 and verse 26 is the reality of that. Because, you ready for this? Don't miss this. Joseph, the most Christ-like man in your Bible, ended in a coffin in Egypt. You cannot be good enough. And God's word is true. And what God tells you about your life, your existence, your problems, what God tells you is true. We can believe it. We can trust it. That's the certain reality that we see demonstrated in Genesis chapter 50. The certain reality of God's word. Then number three, the certain reality of God's forgiveness. Look at verse 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is today to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear you not. Fear ye not. Look at what he says in verse 19. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? The certain reality of God's forgiveness. You know what the reality is? Joseph had already forgiven them. He had forgiven them 50 years before. This was 50 years after. This is 50 years after his brothers had come into Egypt. He's, He's lived long enough, Joseph has lived long enough to see his sons grow and have grandchildren. Joseph has great-grandchildren living. And what he's telling them is, I have forgiven you. I've forgiven you. I forgave you a long time ago. We go to Jesus. And we say, I know you're angry with me. And we're afraid of Christ's judgment on our lives. And you know what happens? Look at verse 19. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. Look at verse 17. So shall ye say unto Joseph, This is what the brothers are saying to Joseph that they had heard from their father. Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sins. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. Look at Joseph's response. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. You know, that's what Jesus Christ does. When we go to him with that same sin over and over and over again, we think that we're still under his judgment. You have some preacher that tells you that if you sin this sin, you're going to lose your salvation. You're going to be under God's judgment. You're going to be, he's, he's going to be angry with you and speak harshly to you. And Jesus Christ just weeps 
Because He's already forgiven you. And your faith is so small in His forgiveness. The certain reality of God's forgiveness. Is there anyone here that's born again? You know that if you died today, you're going to heaven. You're sure that you're saved. He has forgiven you. He loves you. And just as Jacob, just as Joseph spoke kindly to his brethren now. Why? Because he's forgiven them. He's forgiven you. It doesn't matter what you did this week. If you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you of that sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But do you know that even then, He had already forgiven you? You know that you're completely clean if you've trusted Christ as your Savior? And you can be free. And when you're living under the weight and sin of that guilt as a believer, if you're born again, and you're living under the weight and guilt... Jesus weeps. You don't have to do that. I paid for it for you. Certain reality of God's forgiveness. And because He has forgiven us, do you know what that means? We can forgive each other. That's the certain reality of God's forgiveness. How many of you have someone? Don't raise your hands. How many of you have someone and you've said, I can never forgive that? I can never forgive them. Simple fact is, if Christ can forgive you, then you can take that forgiveness and give it to someone else. That's the certain reality of God's forgiveness. The certain reality of death. The certain reality of the Word of God. The certain reality of God's forgiveness. And then the certain reality of Israel's future. Look at verse 25. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you. Would you mark that word, surely? God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. Notice what it says here. Ye shall. Do you think Joseph had gotten used to telling people what to do? He was the commander. He's second in command in all of Egypt. And he's telling, okay, brothers, God's going to come, and he's going to deliver you. He will deliver you. You know what's interesting? They didn't know they needed to be delivered yet. You see, there came a time when they remembered not Joseph. And that's when Israel became a slave in Egypt. God had shown Joseph what was going to happen. And he's telling them, God will come and he will deliver you. But when you go, take my bones out of here. Take my bones out of here. Why? Why did Jacob not want his bones in Genesis 47? Why did he not want his bones to be left in Egypt? Why? All right, look with me in Exodus chapter 37. I'm sorry, Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1. Hey, can we do something before we do that? Now, I've got you marked in Joshua and now Ezekiel. Now, remember, tear out a map or something, you know, whatever. Just mark both of those. Go with me to the book of John. I want to show you something. 
Uh, no, I think it's Matthew chapter 27. Hold on. This is a rabbit trail I did not prepare for, so bear with me. Yeah, here it is. Matthew chapter 27. All right. Verse 50. We looked at this Wednesday night. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. So Christ has just died on the cross for us. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Now, this shows you how, how lost and blind the world is. If you were making a movie about the resurrection of Jesus, wouldn't you include that? But they don't. It's wild. But here's what John Phillips, the commentator, said. He said, you know, it's possible that Joseph knew this was going to happen. God had told him. And he wanted to be there when it happened. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Now, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's cool thought. Good now, here's, look at this, though. Let's, let's go to what the Bible says now in Ezekiel chapter 37. Now, that was a fun diversion, wasn't it? That was kind of fun. All right. Ezekiel chapter 37. Verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me. This is Ezekiel the prophet. And carried me out in the spirit of the Lord. And set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. I remember where we're coming from. What did Joseph say? Carry my bones out of Egypt. All right. Verse 2. And caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the valley, or in the open valley. And lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, thou knowest. Now, isn't that a great answer when you don't know the answer? You know, kids, you, you can do this at school. Teacher asks you a question, you know, uh, what is the circumference of pi or whatever it is? And you go, it's 3.774299. Thou knowest. <laughs> you know. You know what it is. I don't think that will help with your teacher, but this is the answer. And don't ever take math from me. Amen? Look at what it says in verse 4. And he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones... And say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Now let's stop here for a second. We're not done with this text, but don't miss this. Many prophecy experts limit this to the idea that Israel will be reborn. Well, is Israel going to be reborn? Yeah, it happened. Israel has been reborn. But do you know what this text is talking about? God making bones live. It, that's really what it means. The words actually mean what they're saying. Okay? Now, let's go on. So I prophesied. Or let, let's look at verse 6. The end of it, and ye shall know that I am the Lord, 
Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and I prophesied, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. I got to tell you, if I was there, that would freak me out. When you look at the way it's described, the bones are dry. God puts breath in the bones. So these bones stand up. I'm out of there. And then look at what it says. And, and when I beheld, lo, the sinews, that's first. I don't want to see sinews. The sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above. So, bones come together with breath, and then the, the ligaments and sinews come, and then the muscles come, and then the skin. It's very graphic. Who needs Halloween? You know, we could, have a, we could have a Halloween party and act out Ezekiel 37. Traumatize the kids for life. Verse 8. Oh, I messed up. We'll see. You'll, you'll see where I messed up in a second. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. So the breath wasn't there yet. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Look at verse 11. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. This is why Joseph and Jacob did not want their bones in Egypt. The whole house of Israel, what we must understand, remember the certainty, the certain reality of the land where God has placed these people. You must understand that when God is dealing with Israel, it is a people, their God, and God's land. That's what it's about. Every, almost every, er, every error in the Christian world is a misunderstanding of God's relationship to His people and their land. Let's read on, see what it says. Let's see if we can find that in this text. Verse 11 then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Literally. Think about that. Therefore, prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will cause, or I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, and bring you into what? The land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord, when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my Spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I am the Lord, that I the Lord have spoken it, and performed it, saith the Lord." You've got to understand, when Joseph was worried about his bones, when Jacob was worried about his bones, 
The reason is, those bones, all of those Jews are eventually, who are saved Jews, saints who believed God, they are going to be raised from the dead physically, and physically placed in that land of Israel. Canaan land. That is going to happen. That is, a, that is just as certain as death. Just as certain as God's Word. Just as certain as God's forgiveness is the certainty that God has given that land to His people. Go back to Joshua chapter 23. I want you to see something. Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. And behold, I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls, look at this, that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. Can you say that? Do you know that whatever God has told you is true? All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. Look at verse 15. Therefore it shall come to pass, that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until he have destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you and have gone and served other gods and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land which He hath given unto you. Do you see what the covenant with Israel is about? What's it about? The land. The land. When the Bible says to us, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's where we go. When I die, if the Lord hasn't returned yet, when I die, my body's going to stay in the ground, my spirit is going to go and be with the Lord immediately. Amen? That's not what happened here. These people went in the grave. Their, their soul went to paradise. And they were kept in bondage there, in captivity, until the Bible says that Jesus, when He died, when He was in the grave, He went and led captivity captive. He went into the heart of the earth. He went into the lower parts of the earth. And He led captivity captive. And He took those saints, those Old Testament saints, who had never seen the resurrected Christ. They never knew that. He went and preached the gospel to the souls in prison. And then He took them to heaven with Him. But their resurrection is different than our resurrection. Our resurrection is different. Would you look with me in the book of Hebrews chapter 11? Look at verse 22. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Isn't that interesting? Why did God put that in his hall of faith? Why did he do that? Because it demonstrates that even though Joseph never got to live in the promised land, he believed that his bones were going to get there. Uh, will your faith last until you die? Jo Joseph's lasted after he died. 
But I want you to see something. Look with me at verse 33. Speaking of these, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured. Wait a minute. Not accepting deliverance. That they might obtain, what's it say? A better resurrection. A better resurrection. You see, we have a better resurrection coming. That's our resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was the first fruits of this resurrection. Joseph and those Old Testament saints, when they come back, they're going to be placed in that land. Jesus Christ is going to come. We're going to come back with Him. And He is going to establish His kingdom on this earth. Those Jews are going to be raised from the dead. And they are going to stand with Christ in that kingdom. That is the promise that is the sure promise of God to the land. Folks, our Bible is true. What God has promised is true. If you deny the Lord Jesus Christ, you will surely die. But if you receive the gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ has offered, you will have eternal life. Look with me in Exodus Um, chapter 34. This is why the Old Testament saints had to go to paradise and they didn't go to heaven. God has just given Moses the law and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and in truth. Will you mark merciful and gracious? Will you mark that? Merciful and gracious. Merciful and gracious. Long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands. See that? Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means, look at what it says, clear the guilty. It will by no means clear the guilty. You see, in the Old Testament, mercy comes before grace. In the New Testament, it's always grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. We have mercy with God because of His grace. He has given us His grace because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. These people, their iniquity was not washed away. It wasn't. That's why it required the sacrifice of bulls and goats. Every year, the priest standing in the temple. Every year that had to happen. Every year. It doesn't have to happen anymore. Our sin's not covered. Our sin is washed away by the blood of the Lamb. These Old Testament saints, these Old Testament saints, they died not having received the promise. Hebrews chapter 11. And so, they had to go to paradise. 
They didn't have the. They had forgiveness of sin, but their sin wasn't washed away. For us, you know what? I stand here redeemed and clean, and my sin is washed away. Grace and mercy. Old Testament mercy. Remember, remember the difference. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. I don't deserve the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't deserve His forgiveness. That grace comes and then the mercy. In the Old Testament, the only reason anybody lived was by the mercy of God. And then the grace came where He gave good gifts to men. But their sin was not washed away. That's why they couldn't enter into heaven. They had to go to paradise. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ paid the, for the sin of everyone going all the way back to Adam. Amen? I lo- remember, there is nothing that happened in the fall of Adam that the resurrection of Jesus Christ can't take care of. So, what are our certainties that we learned from Genesis? The certain reality of death. The certain reality of God's Word. The certain reality of God's forgiveness and the certain reality of the land. What God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 is true in Revelation chapter 22. Amen? Certain realities of God's Word. Thank you so much for your Word, Father.